0: Powerful and intriguing tips and tricks for speakers by speakers. Welcome to the Key 5 Podcast with your host, Robert Ferguson. Welcome to the Key 5 Podcast, for speakers by speakers. For show notes, go to key5podcast.com. Today, we're talking with Dr. Jack Singer a professional psychologist who spent 33 years teaching professional, Olympic, and world champion athletes how to be successful through developing the mindset of a champion, and now teaches the same game-changing skills to financial professionals and others. Let's get started. So, Dr. Singer, um, tell us in one sentence, what do you speak about?
1: I really speak about the psychological obstacles that everybody runs into that prevents them from performing their best consistently. And I teach them how to a recognize it and b overcome it. That's succinct.
0: I love that. (laughs) How, How did you end up in the business of being a speaker?
1: Well, that's an interesting story because I had been practicing as a, you know, professional sports psychologist for many years, working with Olympic champions and people like that. And, um, i used to go down to the chamber of commerce in fort lauderdale florida where my office was and uh you know do my 10 minute spiel like the dentist did and the doctor did and so forth to new people coming to town new businesses coming to town and i would always make it humorous and one day at the end of one of those presentations one of the other people who was there who owned a computer company said, uh, you're really a funny speaker. I said, thanks. He said, why don't you join the Florida Speakers Association? I had no clue there was such a thing as professional speaking. That was a turning point in my life, Robert, because I joined the Florida Speakers Association, went from there to the national speakers, and it's been a love fest ever since. Wow,
0: I have to say the idea of a funny psychologist is sounds like almost an oxymoron <laughs> exactly you 're proving it <laughs> well, good for you. you know I think we learn as we, we go along here. If you look back, what, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you got started?
1: Well, you know, I wish I knew that the process of becoming a speaker and allowing uh, people to learn about you so they can hire you. I, I wish I knew that I really needed help and that I can't do it all by myself because to save money, I tried to do it all by myself in the beginning without paying for workshops or mentors or anything like that. That was a waste because it's overwhelming and impossible and the competition is too great. So one of the things I wish I knew was, don't be afraid to spend some money having people help you get where you need to get.
0: That's uh, good advice. And and are there, if thinking about our, our listeners here as speakers, and if they're in to invest limited dollars, as you learned, what would be some of the first folks that you think people should invest in in helping build a speaking business?
1: Well, the first thing I did was, as I said, I joined one of the chapters of the National Speakers Association and found it to be a very um, wonderful group in terms of people who are experienced who want to share with new people and so that was probably the best learning experience where in a safe way you can practice your trade people will give you critique but not in a way to embarrass you or make you uncomfortable and then learning you know you don't have to reinvent the wheel look at what the famous speakers do and you can try to do the similar things only have your own specialty and your own story
0: I like the sound of that, and especially as you, you talk, you say story. I think that's a key part of being a speaker is telling stories. How do you develop a, a key story that you may even use across multiple presentations?
1: Well, the stories that I use are tend to all be funny but true, and they all have to have a point to them that fits in with what I'm teaching. So if I tell a story, for example, of, being on an airplane this is true of course being on an airplane coming out of the restroom sitting down and across the aisle from me is a young lady who passes me a note on one of the airplane napkins and my fantasy mind is taking off i'm saying first of all she looks like she could be my granddaughter secondly she sees i'm with my wife to my left i can't imagine what this note is going to say and i read the note and it says sir i think you should know that the toilet seat covers hanging out of the back of your pants (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay. Now, why do I tell the story? Because she immediately then said, I'm really sorry that I embarrassed you. And I said, it's quite the contrary. You just gave me an opening for every speech I'm going to do from now on because people have a choice as to how they're going to deal with potentially stressful situations. I can either be embarrassed, mortified, afraid to look at you and make believe this never happened, or I can use it to show people that I chose to to get something out of this and use it in a positive way because I'm going to turn this into something positive in my mind. And that's part of the big message that I teach people.
0: Fascinating. And I, you even just right there showed, if you have different audiences, you will tweak that story depending on the message you're trying to communicate. It sounds like.
1: Right. Uh, Because you know, my messages are very, uh, there's a core message, but it's customized for every audience. So, you know, if I'm dealing with sales professionals, first of all, and I know that one of the big issues they have is in their mind, they get embarrassed if uh, if they can't answer a question that a pros- prospect asks them, or they don't have a que- an answer right there. They get embarrassed. Well, this is a key point to point out. You don't have to be embarrassed. You can look at it in a different way, like I did when the woman handed me the note, the way you can look at it is to say, this is an opportunity for me to do some research and follow up with this person. So I don't have to have the answer right now. I just have to say, you know, that's an outstanding question. Let me make sure I get the right answer for you. Where can I reach you and when?
0: You make it sound so easy. I love it. That's what good speakers do. (laughs) Um, Dr. Singer, as you uh, think about stories and your your presentations here, but you speak to various audiences. What do, what do you do to ensure that your presentation will be relevant to that audience you're going to be speaking to?
1: Well, with each audience, if someone books me, I tell them that I need about a half hour of the meeting planner's time or whoever the most important person would be with the group I'm speaking for to do a pre-conference survey. And I really want to find out what are the challenges that your audience faces? What are some of the uh, successes they've had? Um, wh- what, what is the biggest risk that they face? And that's how I really refine and customize the program to suit that audience.
0: You know, you're one of the first people that I've talked to who used the word risk. I like that. A lot of people say, are well, your challenges or issues, but the risks, that's an interesting idea. I appreciate you saying that. Has that ever in your pre uh, presentation survey ever proven to be, um, insightful in, in a unique way?
1: Yeah, because what happens with a lot of people, Robert, if I can just go off the subject for a minute to show you the point, what happens with a lot of people is we grow up with messages we got from our parents and from other important people, and those messages are unfortunate. It could be a message like don't ever take risks, um, fly under the radar so you're not noticeable, uh, don't confront anybody, um, try to always be nice and have everybody like you. Those messages by well-meaning parents, for example, are devastating messages because they prevent people from moving forward. Mm -hmm. So you find a lot of people are afraid to confront someone or to be assertive with someone when they're, they're being treated unfairly. Or a lot of people will not speak up when they should speak up because they're always told, fly under the radar. So I like to talk about risks because for those kinds of folks, doing anything other than what they're doing seems risky. And I point out that risk is the way that most successful people have gotten where they are you don't have to be succeed every single time but you have to keep taking calculated risks in order to be the best you can be
0: love it i love it thank you for sharing that Um, dr singer as you present obviously as professional speakers we are in the business of making a living doing this are there ever occasions you would recommend to speak for free and if so why and when
1: Yeah, well, of course, neophyte speakers need to speak wherever they can get an opportunity. So it could be the local rotary, it could be the chamber of commerce, it could be anywhere just to get practice. So you don't need to charge for those things. But even a speaker who's been around the block like I have for many, many years, I will speak for pro bono or a very small fee depending on the following criteria. Uh, Number one, is it a nonprofit like for a health situation like cancer survivors or something? I'm always happy to do that. Number two, uh, is it an audience that may be filled with meeting planners who could book me for other speeches? Then I want to get in front of those people, even if there's not a fee involved. Mm -hmm. Number three, is the location a place that I'd like to take my wife for a mini vacation so that... They don't have to pay me, but if they can give me like three nights in the hotel and it's in Maui, I'm happy to do it, you know. Uh, In fact, that's where we were headed when I had that incident with the bathroom. Uh, So, yeah, so there are different criteria that we can use to speak for free. Now, it's important from an ethical standpoint. You can't just arbitrarily speak for one group for free and another group you charge, you know, $5,000. That's not ethical. So there has to be a real justification I'm trading them for advertising or they're going to buy a lot of my products in the back of the room or they indeed are going to be putting me in front of CEOs who book speakers so I can justify doing it there. So you don't arbitrarily decide one group because they don't have a budget you'll do for free where the other group you're charging thousands of dollars. That's unethical.
0: I appreciate you stipulating that unique factor that's important to me and and I think that's an important one for our listeners to consider as well. As we start to wrap up here, any um, secret tips or tricks that you could share about speaking that uh, you could share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, I I would say um, don't get overwhelmed by it very experienced, heavy-duty professional speakers. So if you go to an NSA meeting, for example, <clears throat> you're you can get easily overwhelmed because there's all kinds of people all around who always seem to be on whether they're speaking or not. And they can overwhelm you with just the dynamics of their voice and the expressions. And you can say to yourself things like, I can never do that. Maybe this isn't the right profession. I'm telling everybody there's a niche and a room for everybody. Do not think you have to be identical to those famous speakers in order to be a success.
0: Great advice. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, Dr. Singer, this has been great. And as we like to say to our listeners, we'll see you on the stage.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: Now let's hear what Alan Hoffler has for us in our Millswick Minute. Today's speaking tip is about how to make sure the tone of your
2: speech matches the tone of the event where you're speaking. Every speech and speaker has a tone, but so do events. Some are more exciting and upbeat. Others are more subdued. Should a speaker attempt to match the event or go with their personal style, which may differ mightily from what the audience is used to? First, this should have been uncovered and discussed with the event planners in your due diligence prior to being hired. A speaker should not surprise his or her hosts, but I think that the speaker should match their tone and style to the effect and brand they are trying to drive more than the event's tone. Many times, being different is exactly what will be remembered. This is especially true if the event is a technical conference where the typical presenter is often not high-energy. And I'm being polite. Sorry, engineers. I'm an engineer myself, and we we deserve that stereotype. You want the adjectives your audience uses to describe you to complement your speaking and business goals. And that's driven by your persona on stage. Act accordingly. I'm Alan Hoffler. And this is your Millswick Minute.
0: Thanks, Alan. One of the cool things about doing your own podcast is you get to determine your own tone. But I also try to ensure it's not offensive in order to provide real value to you, our listeners. On our next K5 podcast, I'll be interviewing Donna Cutting, the founder and CEO of Red Carpet Learning Systems, and author of the book, 501 Ways to Roll Out the Red Carpet for Customers. I hope you can join us. To listen to all of our podcasts and learn more about our guests, go to key5podcast.com. That's K-E-Y and the number five, podcast.com. And be sure to download the speaking tips available there. So go to key5podcast.com today. Thanks for listening. This podcast was produced by your local studio. For more, go to key5podcast.com. Hey, if you're still listening, thanks for sticking around. I have one quick request. If you like the show, it would mean a whole lot if you left a review over in the iTunes store. This actually helps others find the show. So thanks in advance, and I'll talk to you next time.